KVBL Radio is back. We have a treat for you this evening. This is in the wee hours here at Eastern Time, but we got a treat for you. Joining me on the phone to discuss his GM rankings, the Cavs GM himself, Kyle. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. <laughs> I know you've been looking to get on here for a while, and you brought some really solid content with the GM rankings, and we had talked about it. You had previously released, I think, 26 to 11. Was that it? Yeah, you omitted the top 10. Yeah, I admitted the top 10. I wasn't going to, originally I'd written 25 to 11. I was not going to include Andre. Just, I mean, he's been in for two seasons, and I feel like it's not fair. So I threw him at the bottom, but I put him ahead of all of him because, how do you not? Yeah, I think you mentioned that to me, and I lobbied hard for Andre to get in there since he got a playoff series win. It's got to count for something. Right, and <laughs> I just, you know, when you when I was going through this, I took into account record and franchise score, titles, finals appearances, but then I also took into account like how much effort somebody puts in. Not, not shocked. I'm not a big fan of the way Mike goes about his thing because he's had, and we'll get into it. But he said, "What are you doing, freaking cats?" We've had two of the, he said, two of the best players in this version, and has refused to that build around it, and then has, then again landed the first pick with Bradley, the second pick with Glenn. And still is spoiled. I don't know how he does it, but he's treadmilling. As a lot of it really is incredible. And you're, of course, referring to Mike, Mike Timberwolf's Mike. Mike. Yeah, I don't even know. I just know Mike B because he's like that, but Mike Timberwolf's Mike, yeah. Oh, gotcha. That's okay, so we'll call him Mike. Like Mike B is going to be the Sacramento guy. Okay, yeah. I gotcha. And then Mike will just be the wolf. So I guess I'll start at 24 because I kind of went on a rant about it, and then we'll go to Oliver and Andre. But he he had Park at the beginning, and he kind of put like that low usage team, he made the finals and got swept. Whatever. He only had the one score. Never made anything of it, got rid of Park. Then he gets the first pick, drafts Chow, and literally he makes the finals, but he doesn't do anything else. Like Every year it's like, all right, when are the Wolves going to make the move? And he never made the move to put them over the hump, something that... Hornets did something that, you know, I felt like I did when, you know, I had the team and I, I moved Cromwell for Bo and I said, let's go all in now. You know, it gave me a four-season four span instead of having the longer time. Well, Mike hasn't done that. And then after he trades Charlie, lands Bradley and hasn't made the playoffs with Bradley. Bradley's six seasons in. I mean, he's not great, but you look at him. He rebounds, defense is an area, but... You haven't tried to put a team together? This is season This is season job. eight with Bradley. Eight. This is his eighth year. Right. And then he got, he got Luther, who at the time, I mean, was one of the most coveted young bigs in the game. So you put those two together, you tell me he can't go out and find a wing. I mean, how many guys are always, especially guys that are they're tearing their team up? Like, you know, I guess not that air, not that you want to go get air when he's expiring. But something along that lines when somebody has two years left, like, try. Like, kick the tires on a different decision than just playing stults. Well, without... But he's never going to... Without going... You had... Okay, so without... I don't have the full win-loss records, but I'm going off your rankings. We have the rankings pulled up. We have added 
we have added the top 10 to the list, so I can take a look at this as we're referring it. And I think what we'll do is we'll also touch on each team. We got a little bit of, we have, of course, this is after the first sim. So, you know, right. depending upon, I know you have some hot takes on some of these teams. We can look into what the future might be for some of these squads, too, as some of these teams have taken, like, a, potentially a different direction, you know, with the entire teams changing a little bit. Like, right. I think, that, like you said, like we had talked earlier and you talked about the Wolves were going to, most likely going to stay in the tank. Um, but, but I think I'm looking at their team right now, and like, you have them, they're 22nd in franchise score, and they're 18th in record. So, like, were they really, like, they've had Park and Chow, and they're still only 18th in record overall with two finals appearances? Right. I mean, is, is that, like, it's this current run of, like, whatever these eight seasons are with, with Bradley and co.? <laughs> I mean, so, I, I don't know if there's an easy way to do it. I didn't go back. But I would guess he hasn't won more than 30 games in a season, 30, 31 maybe, with, since Bradley. This is now season eight, so for seven seasons. So I would guess that he has less than 220 total wins with Bradley, who's the number one pick, who he then added Luther, who was the number three pick. And Bedlam, who ended up becoming, up until Luther got better last year, I thought comparable enough that had he moved to Luther, he had somebody to slide in, and he could have gone and gotten a young wing that had just signed, like, right after RFA. So you have him for five or six seasons, and you run out that guy with Bradley or Bedlam, or you move Bradley, and you go Johnson. However you want to do it, and you just didn't. Now he's kind of stuck. He's sitting there with Twine, who I really like, and I think that he has a chance to be really good, and I get it, you know, he... He only played 21 minutes starting. He didn't have foul trouble, so it just seems like a JS, JSB glitch. But he shot 52 from three. Four, I, I, I get it. We're talking 12 games. But he's somebody that looks good. He needs to purge his team before Bradley and Johnson and Bedlam get worse. You know what's funny is uh, now that I'm – it's funny because I, I want to say I did one of these, and it was probably – Mid, it was. Uh, do you remember me when I did one of these in the last version, or was this way before your time? The, the only one that you did in the last version was right after you won the title, <laughs> of course. Right? Basically, it was nice because, like, I didn't understand a lot of the league at the time, but like, you talked about what you were looking for, and I, I kept that. Like, you knew that the Spurs were looking to purge Henderson at the time. And so what you did is you made some smaller trades for the Spurs picks. And picks back then weren't nearly as valuable as far as lotto possibility. Because pretty sure it was like 30 teams and 14 weren't lotto. And like 10 through 14 basically had no chance of moving up. So even if you just missed the playoffs, like that pick was useless. Because there were usually only 10. Yeah, the odds odds weren't as flat either. The odds were were definitely more weighted to the top picks. So you made like a few fringe moves that like, kind of got, like, shit back in the chat, like, you know, why are you giving up this for Spurs? But I think that in the back of your mind, you're like, well, if I offer his three picks that he doesn't have for Henderson or whatever the deal ends up being, and you kind of, like, opened up about that. But I'm not going to remember a ton about what you talked about, but what were you going to say? It was more so in reference, because now that it, it's funny, the irony is that I remember in that ranking, I had had Mike a little bit lower. And what in the last version... And it's funny because one of the more polarizing GMs, like to use that word that we'll talk about later on, uh, Kenneth would say is that he loved the way that Mike 
kind of stayed the course. And he ended up like, I can't remember a lot of these guys. Like I know he ended up with that guy, Enrico Montavani. He had some sort of like a defensive big that everybody liked. He basically, what he did is he just, he actually similarly did what he's doing now. I think he ended up because he was so bad. Of course, again, like you'd said though, back then, you know, the way that the bucks would do it is the bucks would tank and take euros on, on weights. So like you you know it'd be like imagine all the guys you took right now are on weights like you're still going to be super bad the euros don't come over for like 2 years so the bucks built that way and what would happen is the the wolves would be so bad that they would end up with top picks but i think the idea is you could force your way into a a higher pick easier than you could now and that's what you know he got lucky before he got lucky with these top picks that panned out and his team was solid but he still only went on a mini run kind of like he did earlier where he had the high-end talent and the window was kind of small and everyone was kind of giving him a pat on the back, all he did was pretty much do nothing. He's doing the same thing he did now, where he just, like you said, he's got Bradley, he's got Luther, he's got Bedlam, but he doesn't make any real effort to add the other guys. And it's like, if you're not going to luck into like, okay, he lucks into drafting Glenn. You know, that could have been Elio, and ultimately that ends up being a better fit for that team. You know, if he ends up with a top pick this year, and maybe it ends up being like a shooting guard, you know, then it just naturally fits. And I feel like that's kind of what happened to him before. Like, obviously, if Hatch was a little bit better, it, it works out better for him. But it's like there's a difference between convenience and effort. You know, like just getting like people talk about luck. Like, here's he's a great example of it because he doesn't make effort to like – if you make him a trade offer, he might respond. But – you know, I know that what you had mentioned before we came on the podcast about, you know, valuing the effort people put in. And, you know, again, nothing against the guy, but he's not out there seeking out offers. Right. You know, and right. and if and you're not going to be able to build around the, those young, talented pieces if you're not out there looking for, you know, like a shooting guard or, or the right wing or, or the right point guard. So it's like if with a little bit more effort, I think he could have made that team a lot better, obviously. Well, and I'm going to say this, knowing full well that when I won my title, that I actually had this, but I don't think that it's valuable in most cases to have your three best players be guys that you can't have on the floor at the same time. I had Sanders, Cole, and Beaumont, but I also had two wings and a point guard. Like, at no point, realistically, are Bradley, Johnson, and Bedlam on the court at the same time. Correct. And, and a, you know, that, that just... It doesn't bode well for long-term, usually. Like I said, there's circumstances, and I happen to be one of them, when I had a trio that was phenomenal. But for the most part, you know, you're, when one of your guys always has to be on the bench and he's one of your three best players, it's never going to be a, a good team building. I agree, yeah. So we're basically right. looking at – so if we're looking at the Wolves – we just, you know, I, I don't, I don't disagree with the with the ranking. I'm kind of looking at it as like I don't know who he could definitely be against. Like you said, he's got, he's got two finals appearances, which puts him a little ahead of a couple other GMs. But I'm, a, but I'm assuming when we would get to them, we would talk about it. But I just have to assume that you have him rank where he is because those other GMs are making more of an effort and probably have a better path to being more successful moving forward with the teams they have. Especially if, like you said, if, if, you know, I don't know that Bradley's available, but knowing the fact that he did potent, you know, he did offer him to, to all that, you know, the writing could be on the wall if people make the right offers to him. So if this team decides they want to go the opposite direction and move off Bradley and, you know, move on from some of these guys, then we're going to, you know, we're going to see them go back into the tank again. Whereas some of these other teams look like they might want to compete. So, 
I, I think that, well, I don't know how he values them, um, but I think that a team, you can't, you can't sell off your, your pieces until you trade your best player. Now, who is his best player? I, I mean, age, you know, their contracts are the same with Bradley and Johnson. You know, I think that with the defense, you might get a better haul for Johnson. Like, I think that Luther just might bring you more. Like, I don't know what Bradley's going to win you. Like, I don't know that he's ever going to be the piece that puts you over the top. I think he's a nice complimentary piece. But what Mike's going to want for Bradley is, well, is, if it's paid, I think it's an overtime. I just, what you see, yeah, he has the rebounding. I mean, that's great. But rebounding only gets you so far. His defense of 1-9 suck. I mean, he's 36-34 from three. You know, I don't know what he's shot in his career, but... He's, he seems like he plays... Him. Yeah, he seems like he plays under his ratings. And the funny thing is, like, I, I remember Allrim hit me up the other day, and I was kind of busy, and he asked me about, you know, this offer. And I kind of looked at it, and I think he was actually throwing in his pick, too. So, to be honest, like, I, like if, he, if he gives all... Like, I, Allrim already said he said no, but, like, if you're getting the Wolves first plus Bradley, like, the Wolves aren't going to make the playoffs. So he could have right. he could have had that. I mean, he would have had a lottery pick. But again, if you value your guy a lot more and you don't know what Bradley is, I get it. I mean, the point is again, Bradley's been in the league eight years, and a guy can't get more than a six PD. But if you take away that rebounding, it's like, what does he look like? He kind of just looks like a lot of other players. He well, re- and, that's, and to me, and I know that this is probably really going to come off really bad, but I think that you can find enough rebounding in other places. Like I think that. All right, not that this guy's any good, but even the guy sitting right above him is small forward eligible and has 53-61 rebounding. You put that with somebody that has 51-70 rebounding at power forward, and you're more than fine. Granted, Armando's not anything. I'm just, you know, it just happens to be right in front of me. I think that he had, he if he thinks Bradley's the best player because he was the first pick or whatever, that's fine. But I think, personally, I would pay more for Luther. Than I would for Bradley because of the defense. Yeah, Luther looks seemingly he's and he's Luther's got twenty two and ten so far this year. I don't know what Bradley's up to, but uh, yeah, but yeah, I mean like and thirteen, but Bradley can't shoot. Brad, but all right, this is enough on the wall. Basically, <laughs> yeah. I, until until these contracts run out or he actually makes a trade, I mean, there's just nothing. Twine's a good building block. You know, I was all for him. Trying to make the playoffs, you had Glenn. If you got a point guard, you know, find the shooting guard. He went the other way. He traded Glenn for what what ended up being Twine with the fourth pick, which is fine. I don't hate the move. But now get rid of Bradley and Johnson. And Bedlam. Just hurt them. What is the point of them being on the team? Yeah, there's not a ton of sellers right now, and those are good young players. Like, let's see it. Let's make some offers. If you have three, but if you, Right now, I mean, everybody values, I get cap space, but if you don't have cap space, what you want is guys that you can control. Like, your controllable asset. Like, yeah, maybe Bradley isn't the best, and maybe Mike wants more, so you maybe go to Bedlam. Bedlam can still get you something. All right, let's go, let's go to 26. Basically, the Wolves need to purge the team and build around twine. Agreed? Agreed. Yep. All right, all room was an easy decision for me at 26. Like, I I love the guy. I mean, he's entertaining, and he takes a whooping and just puts his head back in there. And You know, he has his own way of valuing things that we can talk about. He got out of that read deal. 
but again, why would you, you know, if you're going to pay Reed the $8 million, then you're going to be excited that all you got was an expiring back rim. Why not just take the pick and Brick and then flip Brick? Brick just got the Knicks 42, didn't they? So, like, I, I get where Oliver was coming from, and I get where, you know, Crest defended it to and from, and he, you know, text, group messaged me outside. But if, realistically, with him being so bad in franchise score, he's not going to get some big name guy in free agency. He's going to have to overpay for Reed and then get nothing out of it. So if someone's handing you a pick for the cap space, I'm sorry, I'm taking that. Like, with no, he has no chance. He was not signing here. I'm sorry. Like, have we seen that? Have we seen that? I know we've talked about it in chat, and it's nice to always discuss these things because sometimes I don't go into them, and I know that that would be a great conversation with KJ one time. But have we ever, like, are we, I, don't, I know certain guys have preferences, and I know X pointed it out, but are we definitely sure that franchise score matters with some of these guys, or is that part of what maybe their their rating is on certain things? I mean, I, the way I look at it is if it comes from JSB and KJ's giving it to us for information, it matters somehow. That makes sense, yeah. What, I, I don't think he'd be giving us a franchise score if it didn't play into the game, if it was just something for us. Like, I just, clearly JSB spits out the number. Like, I don't think KJ's sitting there and calculating, and maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think he's calculating it every year. Like, I think that he puts in who made the playoffs, who made the finals, who won, and it gives him back the franchise score. And he updates it, per se, and how many times, who made the, you know? So, if, if franchise score does matter, and to an extent, I think it does. I mean, the Lakers did sign Redding, what was it, last year or two years ago? They got here, like, I think that it, to an extent, it does. And if you look through that teams that they actually, people want to go through, the Lakers, for not being that good, like, every, almost everybody had the Kings this year. Like, I get it, because they've been good for two years now. But if you look... Lakers were still on the list, and they haven't been great. I did get so, Bo too. The year I I actually had Cap, I did get Bo that one season. Who signed? Who signed Chow? Who signed Chow? Was it the Heat? Uh, the Heat re-signed him. Oh, they so, re-signed so they him, a, and they have a high franchise score too. Look at that. You're right. The Nets, the Raptors have signed guys. The Sixers are have a pretty good franchise score, and we've joked about them stealing guys. Yeah. <laughs> the fucking Grizzlies. Oh, wait. Okay, so wait. It's kind of changing the topic. The Grizzlies are 500 games under 500. Yeah. <laughs> like, they have a 35 win percentage. I pulled up the wins and losses to compare this with the GM rankings. Like, okay, that's really bad. So I actually, when I initially made the list before I took record and franchise score, I listed what I thought without any titles or finals, just who I thought was good at, you know, figuring out what pieces mesh. And I actually had X first. Because X looks at things that are just completely different. He went, he traded Jodson for Marks the year he won the title, specifically for a reason to have Marks. For, I don't know who it was for, but he did that to win the title that year. And he has admitted since that he got the title, so he's happy. But he knew he was giving up the better player in the deal, basically. So, 
then I started putting things, and I had Mike, the Wolf's mic, last. And then I started looking at the record in Francesco, and I'm like, there's no way Allroom isn't last. I mean, she's made the playoffs four times. I would guarantee you that there's six of the times he's missed the, the playoffs that he hasn't had his pick. Four times. Four times. That's yeah. all rim. Come on, man. More lotto picks than he's made playoffs would be my guess. Given away. Is that what you said? Given away. Yeah, like he yeah. hasn't had his pick. Yeah. I would guess he's given up more lotto picks than he's made playoffs. He's probably given up more like top five picks than made playoffs, let alone lotto picks. <laughs> right. Wow. Yeah, that's incredible. So, now, for all rim's sake, he has never in the draft that he's had his pick. Name is a star outside of Bailey. And then he traded Bailey, I believe. So, I don't know why he traded Bailey. I don't remember the circumstance. But, like, when you go back to the Wolves, and it's like, is Mike really that much better of a GM than RM? Like, Mike gotten lucky and landed Chow. And had, like, I'm sorry, if RM lands Chow, I gotta hope that there's a way he figures out how to make the playoffs four straight years. Like, Allroom has never had a child-type guy, even though he's had high draft picks. Like, is Mike really a better GM? Yeah, I mean, right. The argument that people are going to make, and this is where it kind of ties into what we did before, is you'll have people like Kenneth say that, you know, like the stuff you do, or MX always says that, is the trades you don't make. So the biggest criticism of, of, of Allroom is the fact that he just can't help himself. You know, it's kind of like Andre's starting to fall into that territory of, like, he just wants to kind of just be relevant. So it's like sometimes people make him offers. Like, again, the Bradley thing, it, it became close to, like, where he was like, you know, hey, you know, I think he really likes the the rookie, so maybe, you know, he's come around a bit. But it's like you can, you know, people try to tempt all rim, and that's when it gets dangerous. Right, I've done it. I've done this <laughs> before, and I, like, until he responds, I don't even give up like a reason why he should do it because I part of me is like he's going to talk himself into it before I am <laughs> so and the, and then going into what the grid looked like if he stays the course I mean he still needs to find some scoring you look at his team the rookie's okay um sex uh, sex I have no idea how to say that. I know. I just called him the Finn. Um, I, I couldn't even do it. I'm pretty good with some names. The Finn. He, I'll call him Barrett. Um, you know, he's shooting fine. And, you know, he would like a little bit more volume bump at some point. Elio's fine. I actually like him more than I thought I would. I mean, he is literally a walking triple-double waiting to happen. Like, a few more boosts, and he's... Right there, I mean, his hardest part is going to be the scoring in some games. He's going to have double-doubles where he doesn't reach 10 points. Um, but he needs to, you know, for as long as he's been in the tank, I feel like he doesn't have a ton outside of LEO and there. And then I'm not a big Necrosaf fan. Like, I know people like him. I'm sorry, if you don't have D1 through 9, you're already 24. Like, at some point, he's just... And it's not like he's scoring 25 a game. You can kind of overlook Yeah, he was better last year. Last year he was upwards, looks like, four. He was he was 22 points a game last year. He was fine last year. So I don't know right. if it's just the sample size. You know, he's not getting as many. Maybe he's, I'm just playing 40 minutes well, a game last I year. Mean, it might, 
it might change when Reed gets traded because right now Reed started for them. Oh yeah, and Reed he looks went, like he was. Yeah, I think also I think Allrim. I don't think he had his picks for a while. Like as usual, I think he was doing weird stuff. So it's like I think he finally. You know, he finally had his pick and then got Elio. And then we see that, you know, he ends up with, t- with number one and then he ends up with number two. You know, so he finally right. ends up getting lucky with his own picks. It's like that's like the first time it might have happened in this whole version. You know, now he doesn't have – he's just got pretty much his picks now moving forward. You know, so he's kind of in a similar boat as you. Well, he just doesn't have well, the extra he assets. Has, he should have the Viaba too, remember. He said he didn't send in that thing. Oh, right. End up with Hull, who's fine, but I don't think he's ever going to be anything special more than, like, a, you know, he's a guy that, like, a team that's capped and can't really have anything, and he's, you know, like a, almost like Moeller was for the Blazers that time, where he, he Ricky didn't need a bench because he had Moeller. Right. Was, yeah. Three position guys that can kind of do a little bit of everything, kind of falling to that that little area where, like, if you're in a pinch, he's a guy that you throw in for 25, 30 minutes a game and can put, cover three positions and do a little bit of something so he's not awful. Yeah, I think, they're, I think they're fine. I think they're doing what they're supposed to be doing as long as he doesn't make a dumb trade and trade Elio or Barat. Um, right. So it's those, like, those let's see. Yeah. It's probably going to take a little bit. Of, so, so what is it, so it going to take for Allrim to get past Mike, for example? In the GM rankings, what's it? What is it going to take? I mean, he needs some playoff appearances. He needs some. You know, he made the conference finals once. Yay! But like, he needs. I don't even like I said. Like record and franchise score don't mean anything to me. But like, all rooms picks are gold in the in the league. <laughs> yeah. For a reason. <laughs> so until that narrative changes, I don't know that he can ever move out of this spot without a title. Or Andre has to do something really stupid and take over 26. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, I, I guess, yeah. But the, the argument would probably be is for him to get a title, let alone a finals appearance, he's probably going to have to be doing some work with his team or I don't think it'll be a one-and-done thing. I think we're going to see the team probably have to come together. These guys get the right progressions. You know, it's probably going to be right. like a four- or five-season thing here where he has to get these guys to get better, hold on to them, keep drafting, you know, or maybe make the right free agent signings. <laughs> can, can you do that? And I think that that's where, you know, I'll be interested to see because, like, you know, you look around who's rebuilding at the same time as you. And I look at, and no offense, Allrim, I know you're going to listen to this bitch. Like, it doesn't worry me that Allrim's the one that's landed first and second the last two two years. <laughs> like, if that's who I'm going up against, I feel like in six years, you know, I'm in a better, I, I trust myself to be in a better spot. <laughs> you know, when that narrative changes, that's when he can move ahead of Mike. Makes sense. So what about Andre? Andre's the Andre's our, our newbie and he's hit he's hit the ground so, running for sure. So here's the thing, like his team is fun. He has a star, which I and I've always said this, which is why I've kind of pushed in with Mercer a little bit here and like actually started to like offer out my picks. Is that I don't think you can come out of a rebuild without a star. Like, what the Bucks did, they didn't have a true star, and he's just kind of throwing shit together 
for years. And I talked to Bubbles probably as much as I talked to Ricky or you. Like, we just, we throw back ideas. Um, he, he's high on Callahan. I, you know, I had him. I was not. But what the Knicks have, he got, he has a star. And that's uh, Kowalski. You know, you got to capitalize. So what's he done? He went out. He made the brick trade. I don't love it. I don't love him training his 42 for, you know, basically just getting off the Stales deal and getting somebody more or less comparable to Stales. I'd rather have Brick, but, you know, for argument's sake. And then he goes out and he signs Mag to that that deal, the MLE, which is fine. I mean, Mag isn't bad. He's only 33. It's not like you're – he's, like, off the deep end. Yeah, he's still – but I just, in a playoff series, are you really running out Brick and Mags, like, getting significant minutes? Like, your defense in a playoff series, when it matters, you can, like, you know Brick's their starting small forward with the way that their team is. And I love Danville. I think Danville is underrated overall. I think his D is there. His rebounds help. He shoots efficiently. He finally does. He wasn't really that efficient before. Let's see. He's historically been low efficient because he likes to chuck a bit from three. But actually, this year he's been he's been he's been stellar this year. Look at his first two years. Yeah, I think. Well, was that limited? No. Yeah, he yeah he was better then. I mean, he's forty six point seven for his career, so more or less. What's interesting about him is it's if you look at his he's a weird guy because if you look at his volume. You're like I don't. That guy really shouldn't score a lot, and maybe it's just that extra three point shooting. But it's really not. He's only hitting like one three a game, but maybe that's what puts it over. But it's weird that that guy can score upwards of fifteen points a game. It wouldn't. If you look at him, you just but wouldn't think, see that. It's almost like he's got some words. But it's like I love that guy too. I think I don't think it's a, a big secret. I think it's just he's really never ever made that guy available. He's talked about people always coming after him, but it's like. He's solid on defense. He's low foul. Like he's pretty much an anchor. That's kind of why I've always talked about, you know, Kowalski, kind of Kowalski, Matthews, and Danville have kind of been his core, and then it's just whatever he wants to try to put around it. Well, I think that like Kenneth has brought this up, and it's something I actually agree with him on. Um, bigs that turn the ball over tend to just be a detriment. Like I think you can look past somebody like Tang. I get it. Like you don't like his turnovers. I don't even know what he's at. We're not at your team. But just for argument's sake, I know he's at... But at least he passes. At least there's an assist to turnover. And you get these bigs that just turn the ball over consistently. And they're not... You know, they're not passing. Correct. You know, what are they doing? Catching the ball in the post and then just dribbling off their knee? Like, they're just negatives, ne- negatives half the time. Like Kevin's? Yeah, like Kevin. <laughs> I mean, even, even you look at somebody like... Well, I only say Kevin's because Kevin's had an awesome five turnover per game sim. Right. (laughs) But, like, look at Leonard White the year you had him, or or the year he ended with you, whether, you know, you had him. 3.6 turnovers. He was actually, yeah, that was weird because he was on, the weird thing about that, though, is he was on the Nets, and that was when the Nets had nobody. So the Nets were were forcing him, or he was, like, over 20 points per game. He had, like, he even had, like, four fouls. 
and his minutes dropped. He was he was really he was like Kevin's. He was just his usage was so high. Like it's we had talked about. I think I mentioned this earlier on a couple of the podcasts about like you know like Ricky's rolling out Kevin's at the extreme to just see how bad he could potentially be to where he needs to fix it. And it's like we talked about you know how much like plus two compared to plus one, you know, zero minus one minus two, like how much more does the guy shoot? How less do they like, it definitely matters. And what where it really shows up is the turnovers, you know, like some guys like, yeah, they'll still turn the ball over, but it's like when you can really like plus two compared to minus two, like for a guy like Kevin's like, okay, Kevin's might turn the ball over, but I really don't think we're going to see five turnovers a game. If he goes to minus right. two, you know, like that probably mm-hmm. evens out a little bit. The turnovers and the other thing that I find when I'm messing with setting is free throws. Oh right, because they're yeah, and that's the idea is that yeah, the increased the in, like there's somewhere where it does talk about what should happen, and obviously the increased the increased offensive intensity is supposed to make you draw more fouls, um, and obviously take more shots. shots. And right, and you could you just right, you're just being way more aggressive on the offensive end. It's almost like uh, somebody just continuously driving in and throwing the ball at the rim, and if the, the whistle's not blown, you have like a thirty percent chance of that ball going in. Yeah, yeah. And the argument like, would be you know, as like, if you think about it with like a a, a, a small fast guard in, in like real life, and that's what I think turning up aggressiveness on some of these guys is. Now, some guys it doesn't matter, like Divine, for instance, like. You put him at two, and you don't even think about it. He shoots high percent. But some of these guys is like forty-seven per, you know, percent. You know, those are the guys that you have to watch. Right, whether it goes south, yeah. What you you set him at. So I mean, going back to the Knicks, I know we're kind of jumping just because you kind of use other guys for comparison. I really like Matthews. I think mean, he can be something. I mean, he needs a, he's almost like a weird, like, does everything but nothing great. He's almost like a Marillo with a little bit more volume. Not as great one through nine and no block, but, like, as far as, like, a guard, he kind of does everything, but he's not great at anything. Like, he doesn't pass particularly well. His skills aren't high. He rebounds more than, you know, more than a normal shooting guard, I would say, or at least even. Yeah, his comp his comp was his comp was sacks before the absurd rebounding boost. Like he doesn't have the rebounding sacks has, but if you actually just look at him, he does have kind of the balance because sacks doesn't have a ton of those defensive one. He doesn't have the defensive playmaking that you'd want, but it's like the one through nines are there, and he just does a little bit of everything. He just doesn't have that absurd rebounding. I think that I think their downfall right now, and maybe this is where Mags helps. They don't have steals. Like, they don't have guys that will consistently go. I mean, if you look at their starting lineup, Pulaski's at 24. He's got 28, 28 assists per game. That was, I know. <laughs> what is that? That's crazy. He's got, okay, he's got Kowalski, Brick, everyone, everyone passes. Parsons, literally everybody he plays guy. passes. Mags. Yeah. yeah, White does. That's insane. I've he's never seen someone stack passing like, like that. Twenty-eight passes a game. I mean, I, I know it's an extremely small sample size, but that's incredible. Well, and that <laughs> you know, and, and I don't think Andre hasn't been around long enough. Like, two, if three, this is four. sustainable, his team is going to still be relatively good. But if if this drops by three or four, like even if it drops two or three assists, I mean, you can 
you you know you take away some of those points, his point differential goes from like say nine to four, nine to five. He's going to have a lot. Some of these games that are close, like you know, he lost to me per se, but then went and beat the Kings back to back games. Like that's what he's going to be this year. And then like he doesn't have his pick the next two years, and he, you know he's confident that he's not going to give away a lot of picks. But like look at how close the freak. Hey, what do you have? 47 wins last year and 41 gave me the first pick in the draft. So it's not like like every game in Maynard right now matters. It, and if he, you know, if he can find fringe deals where he can like upgrade the bench a little bit, you know. Well, the big one, the big one is of course he's got the Bulls pick this year. So right. the the again, me and you look again. He won that deal. But there is some world where this pick lands at seven in a not-so-deep draft, and then he misses the playoffs and it jumps to two, and he gets and he, all, and he got the next pick out of that, that deal, too, because he tricked uh, with Chow. And this is the, that was the, my whole argument, where if you don't get Lasecki back, you don't take the deal, because, in my opinion, picks don't have as much value. Even though it's flatter odds and, you know, whatever, don't have as much value because you can make the playoffs. Correct. I mean, there's only only ten of the twenty six don't make the playoffs. Like every given year, there's probably eight teams not trying. Correct. Like, yeah. It's actually hard not to make the playoffs if you really want to. <laughs> Tell that to all room. <laughs> yeah. Well. Uh, yeah. So I mean, like, so we look at the Knicks. So the Knicks. I mean, moving forward, the Knicks. You know, they, they have their core. They're just going to hope for some progressions to the young players. They're going to hope the Bulls pick right. hits. You know, his pick this year obviously won't be terrible depending upon how good the team is. You know, obviously the Nets look somewhat decent, but you're right. He doesn't have his picks moving forward. So he's kind of like he's going to be entering this phase where it's going to be almost like, you know, we having Jamie's coming up soon, but almost like the Nuggets where it's going to be that you're just going to hinge on our – how much your how much progressions you get to these guys, and if you can make some moves. I mean, the team's fine, but I mean, at the, at the very least, you have a new GM who's got a decent team and somewhat of a future because there's some of these pieces are young. That's nice. And, and this this shouldn't be overlooked. When he came into the league, he had lost Brick, right? I think that was the the off season he came in was when Brick was a UFA. KJ did the free agency, and then that's when Andre took over. So he lost Brick. And he's been able to turn the team into a playoff team. So, I mean, kudos to him. Knicks are in the playoffs. I don't have his record in franchise court because realistically it shouldn't matter for Andre because he only has been around for two years. Like, it's not fair to lump him in. He's probably, what, 25th? I don't have it open. Correct. Yeah, the Knicks are 20, 25th and 25th. So, not fair to lump him in with that. Yeah. Yeah. So... All right, moving. We did Andre. We did Mike. All right, BJ. Now I don't have all of his records listed either. The Hawks spirits are twenty fourth and twenty fourth, but towards the end, Tim didn't give a shit. I mean, <laughs> right. I like the guys. I I came in. He wasn't really around from the time I came on. He wrote one really phenomenal draft, and that was it. He wrote what probably would go down as the best. Deepest draft. I mean, I think you got possibly five Hall of Famers out of it. It was Morrissey, Hosh Jackson, 
Patton, Hastings, and Holly was the one through five, not in that order. But outside of that, I mean, he didn't really do anything. He basically gave Bubble Zavala for free. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> the parting you know, gift. So oh, my God. You, you look at this, and you, you can't hold the record in the, against them, but what what happened with the Hawks last year is what me and you were talking about from the, the time that it happened. He doesn't have the volume where if his defense doesn't hold, he's not in a great position. And me and you both like the move, adding Murillo, although I really like it. Uh, uh, Albright, you, I don't know where you stood, but you, you thought Murillo would help, and so did I, and they went in the tank, and I, I said this in the chat, before that last spin, that pick was like slotted at like 17 or 18. So especially in a, a conference where like one or two wins means like four or five spot difference, uh. like I'm very happy holding three of those picks in Maynard, and X is, X is um, tagging me after freaking Sim 1. He's like all three in the playoffs or whatever the fuck he says. It's yep. like, yeah, great. The Hawks were like the three seed before the final sim last year. So, I mean, I think he's doing this on purpose. I think he was smart. There were a ton of point guards. If he had his pick this year, I think he would have added one. I think he knows that without a point guard, he can't do anything with this team. So, I think knowing he has his pick this year, he didn't add one, and he'll go add one next year, which is why I was but here's the funny thing so the team's bad right now you can make an argument like i know he says everyone's available he could just do nothing i mean right that the maynard's going to be dirty like he could do nothing and just leave this team alone and not touch it all year if he was going to do that i personally would trade morello he's coming up on being expensive and these guys that like seem to get like these fringe like he got, Marillo got good bumps, but he didn't get, like, these these amazing ones like Fer, 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 whatever, Divine, all those guys got, even Jotun, where those guys seem to, like, all right, perfect example, Sanders, still a very viable option as, like, a backup big. That's something that I see Jotun doing for a while, or Divine, or Fer. Like, Marillo, when, it's almost like you, you have a smaller window, it seems like, so the, late, the later and the smaller progressions you get means you're going to start losing those at a quicker pace. So your, like, peak is at a much smaller time. Like, I'd be worried that if I help him for this year and next year, like, all of a sudden he loses a lot of his value. Like, I'd be looking to see what I could get from Murillo right now. Because if he's not trying this year, and if he loses, like, a PD and an OD, like, he loses a lot of his value. I get it, he's only 28, like, the chance of him getting these, like, catastrophic ones aren't likely, but he's not getting better. Like, Murillo is at what he is. So, I, I, you know, and like you said, you could sit here and you could do nothing this year and reevaluate after progression and see what he thinks and see what point guards are out there. I don't know. Like, he's not going to have cap, so it's not going to matter. Market's making a big, you know, his he has four guys making over the cap, so there's no way he has cap going into next year. So it's not like he can go and sit still and then land a free agent. Like if he, you know, gets partial expirings from Morello, you know, maybe he can, maybe he can go land stand. 
you need a point guard, your team's not going to have any. Yeah, it's kind of the argument of it's just what what what's going on. Like he tried to build a three point shooting team, and they're not shooting threes efficiently. You know, the team right now is under 40%. It's similar to what we saw at the end of last year. But, I mean, I guess if you're just looking again, if we're just kind of talking rankings here, it's like I don't think you can argue the fact that he's 23. He's right at the back end. I mean, he backed himself out of the playoffs, gave up the number one pick to you. He hasn't been all that successful since he's been back. And now it's like he built a team that looked good, and suddenly they look really bad. And if he flips it, and like you said, if he, if he ends up tearing it back apart, you know, he's back into a rebuild again. Well, and then what I wrote in the, the thing is where I, I thought that he had the biggest misstep is that he gave up a lot of value to move up five spots in the draft that I don't – if I was at three – if you redo that draft, I still don't know who goes three through eight. Like, maybe Hammers goes a little bit higher, but outside of that, like, all those guys have lost. Correct, so, yeah. To move up that many spots when you have all your picks, it's not like he didn't have his 40 or something. And he was trying to get a little bit better. And, you know, he he originally had offered like eight in his forty-one, and then once Callahan got in the mix, his thirty-nine came up, and it was just people were like, "Wow, that that trade came on quick." We talked for two, three days, going back and forth with different deals. You know, sometimes you're not both online at the same time. But I just thought that him trying to move up, I didn't want to lose this deal. Because I really didn't know who I wanted at three, so I think that his evaluation of what what he was getting at three was the problem. I don't necessarily hate him trying to move up, but why are you trying to move up in that draft? Well, you were also like here. I was wrong too. Like I remember, I guess I was in the minority where I liked I liked him getting Mario, and you obviously uh-huh. you liked you liked Albright. I think a lot more than a lot of other people. And and I think I remember saying that, and you're like, that's not really that bad of a deal. Like Albright's good, and then look at what freaking Bucks, what Bubbles is doing with Albright this year. It's like it's ridiculous. It's like this right. just really so went bad quick for the Hawks. Like I don't even know what to say. <laughs> it's just it's a mess. I actually liked both of the players in the deal. I got what BJ was trying to do. He was trying to get a little bit more solid on defense, somebody that can play the four the forward because he has power and. Sacks who can both like slide all over the place. Yeah. So Albright didn't really like fit into what that was. Market stuck at center. That's right. That's right. And also, it just was the fact, like you said, that that they were what they were like. What they were the t- one. They were a top four team in the Mainer the whole year. So he's figuring he's adding. He's going to go for it, and it backfired somehow. Yeah. So yeah. I have him down here because he, he hasn't been around. You know, Tim left him with the shit team, and. He ended up getting a first pick and a second pick guy. Like, Powell's, in fact, were first and second pick, and I think back to that draft or something like that, similar. It's just he doesn't have the right piece around it. Like, I didn't like, I was happy with the market signing because, I mean, let's face it, I, I don't think he's phenomenal. Yeah, he shoots 47%, he shoots 12 times a game. But, like, he doesn't really. Like his blocks are okay, but he fouls a lot. He's always had a foul problem, so he really trusted. He's always on the court. I mean, look at him this year. He's shooting 42%, and he, he's fouling four and a half times a game. I know, small sample size. I get it. But that's kind of what you were getting, and I kind of alluded to that, and everyone was like, no, that's a great signing. That's, you know, underrated signing. And I was like, all right, well. Let's, Just let's buy, buy or beware when you get stuff off the bucks who want to run out that low pace. 
<laughs> and then you get their guys, and suddenly it's a mess. So, uh, so who's next? Going, uh, uh, 22, Jamie. Now, there's an argument she said, I mean, is Mike better than this? Because Mike's record franchise score, he has two finals appearances. But Jamie stays the course. I mean, he didn't, I still think he was kind of new when, when we redid the, when we rebooted, and then he ended up, I don't even know when, he like, was trying for a little bit, and he kind of kept getting, he was the guy that kept getting the shots, and kept getting like the seventh and eighth pick, even though he was like kind of bad. And then he finally gets uh, Azariki, and he, you know, he started to build around that, but I still think that he was too new to know exactly what he needed to put around the guy that shot first as a point guard. And I, I think that he's a good GM, and he, you know, me and him have had conversations, and he says, you know, I try to get guys so that I know that I have everything covered, meaning blocks, passing, steals, assists. I'm not turning the ball over, and then I can score. And, you know, whether it's getting five guys that do it or one guy that does all five, I don't care. And that's how he tries to build a team. If you look at his team this year, that's kind of what he does. Like, Barber can score. You know, Barber doesn't really play a lot of defense. So he went out and said, Sam Deed, who steals and defends. You know, Kittles kind of does a little bit of everything. That's why he liked Lozon, I think, because he added a defender with a little bit of steal. You know, I'm high on Paxton. I'm high on Prince. I think both do a lot of, like, different things. So, like, he has assists covered with both of them. He has steals covered with Paxton. He has rebounded with Prince. So you start to look. I mean, the big thing he has, like, Robidoux has 50 blocks. But outside of that, he has Magusa. Magusa. But, you know, he doesn't, he covers all the areas, but he needs somebody to make a big step. Like, I get it, Barber averages 25, and he came in second in MVP, and he averaged 28 last year. Like, he needs a second guy to step up. Like, Paxton needs some boost. Like, he's, at, he's been consistently at 17 the last two years once Barber took off. He's at 19 this year. Like, I think that for a team that has a guy like Barber scoring points, he needs to be scoring over 100 points. Like, his, his point difference was just too low. Now, I don't know who they played. Like, they smoked me, lost to the 76ers. Like, he just had some really, like, he only beat the Grizz by four. You know, then he was at home, lost to the Sonics by four. So, it, it he, he lost, oh, God, he lost by 30 to the Suns. So, like, that's the thing. If he doesn't have enough scoring to, like, overcome some of these, issues. Like, in that game, he had Barber score 24, Kittle 10, Paxton 12, and nobody else over 8. Well, I think there, if you look at, if you look at his team, and I remember I mentioned, I had actually mentioned this earlier uh, on on the podcast for the Landros, is that I know that there was some talks about him maybe getting Patterson, and I really, I mean, Kittles to me is kind of the same guy, but better, because he does more stuff, I think. He gets a little bit of extra defense, and you can see that Kittles went out, and Kittles, I, said I would prefer Kittles. Yeah, and I mean Kittles, and he and so he starts Kittles over Lozon, which gives him the scoring. And that was his biggest problem last year: is that if he's rolling out Prince, Lozon, and then Robido, I mean that's like Robido can has a little bit, but that's three pretty low usage guys to put around two scores. And like you said, like you better have guys that can score thirty points if you're going to do that. You know, like here, so here he's got you know Kittles is scoring a little bit more than probably he should with that volume. But again, because Prince doesn't score. 
when Robodeau doesn't really score as much as she should, I mean, that's two spots that aren't really scoring, so that's putting a lot of pressure. You know, like, Paxson's going to do his thing, and Barber's going to do his thing, but that's another thing about Barber is Barber's fine, but that's where it's like if you probably look at the fact that he's just – if he could get anything, like, he'd want that 46 to become, like, a 66. Right. You know, Barber's putting up 25 points right now, but it's like if that guy gets any more usage, he's putting up, like, 30. I mean, easily. You know, but he's he's really got to push it, and I mean he's just not taking as many shots as he should. So it's like I I agree with you. I think he just needs some added scoring. But I but that's also, you know, does he have to make a move here? Does he have to like you don't want to talk about someone having to combine assets? But it's like if he just doesn't have enough volume, you know, what does he have to do around Barber? You know, it's obviously probably not Paxton, but it's like really finding a third scorer that you can count on for a solid twenty I, points per game. I mean, do you? you go ahead and start Norton at the small forward and give you that third score and just bring Kittles off the bench and see see what that does? I feel like he might have done that the first sim of last year, but I forget um, yeah, I if he did that. And obviously it's a team, if you look at it right now, they're definitely lacking rebounding. So it's like that's probably not the ideal thing, but you're looking for a score. But, I mean, again, long-term, Norton fits that mold of, like you said, about Necrosoft, that like the defense isn't really there. You know, I feel like those two guys were pretty similar, and it looks like they could have similar career paths where, you know, Norton's higher usage. I mean, maybe Norton just gets more minutes off the bench. Maybe he finds a way to give him 20 or 30 minutes off the bench. But, I mean, again, if you're just looking at long-term, you know, the biggest thing is, again, I don't think some of these pieces are long-term, but it's like what's, you know, I kind of mentioned today. Now, again, but like age-wise, Paxton's young. Barber's young. Kittles are young. Like he could literally just wait. Let's see what he's got here. I mean, Barber hasn't even been paid yet. Kittles hasn't been paid yet. He pretty much just signed Paxton. So it's like he could literally do nothing for the next two or three years and just hope for potential progressions, you know, the way Mike did or the way, you know, the way I've done with, with some of these guys. So it's like I don't know that he's in a rush. You know, he's had these guys for a couple of years already, and it's like they're nice, and he's kind of held that core. So does he kind of just stay the course, you know, and then he's he's not going to get any worse. No, but let me, you know, I'm just going to flip this just because. Barber's due to get paid next year. And then Kittle's the year after. So now all of a sudden, you're sitting there and you're not up against the hard cap, but you can't really go and add without trading one of those guys. True. So, you, know, you know, at some point, like Ricky always says that your starting five can make 80 and you're still in perfect, which is fine, but how's he going to, if he's at 80 with those five, you're not really trading for another guy that's ready money-wise, and then not being literally sitting on the hard cap or over it. Correct. Like, it's just, like, if Kittle gets any sort of bumps, he's going to get a bigger contract than he's probably worth. Like, if you really want to lose the guy for nothing? No. But, like, if he is what he is right now, I mean, how much is he really getting paid? Well, that was also like Moss, is that, you know, if you look at, you know, again, we want to just talk about, you know, I, I guess, you know, again, we're kind of straying off the rankings, I guess the point is be probably, you know, should Jamie just be a little bit more aggressive? You know, like he had Moss and I don't even, I didn't even notice that guy, you know, like was Moss, like Moss is a guy that probably could have been made available. I don't know if how much boost he got in the last off season, but Moss ends up getting paid and he ends up letting him walk. But it's like, could he have tried to get anything he could have last year knowing that he wasn't going to be a long-term piece? Like, what is he going to do with Magosa? Is he just going to hope that Magosa gets some bumps? You know, um, that point guard isn't awful. Like, so he offered Gerardo to me. He's not terrible. He's, 
He's got some speed. He's got some passing. You know, his 1-9 through D isn't awful for a 21-year-old. Like 5-6-2-9. Yeah, he was the 8th pick. He was the 8th pick. But he's going to be RFA. So, I think that's part of it. And, like, I, I haven't responded to him yet. And it's not like I don't want to. I just, I don't know, one, what he's looking for. And, two, I just got Dolby who I'm going to have to pay. Like, do I really want to go and pay a point guard? And now I'm paying two guys three years before me even in the playoffs. Like, that to me just doesn't signify Salatino. But, like, that's the idea. He, he needs to be shopping the guys that he probably isn't going to be able to pay and keep. Right. Even, right. Even if he gets a 41 first for the guy, at least it's an asset to flip later. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, and then I, I think he, and then again, um, you know, just to be slightly critical, it's like he did give up a pick for Lozon. You know, granted, he was decent last year. He gave up a pick for Norton. You know, it's just like maybe try to, you know, like he's, he, again, the team's theoretically treading, they're treadmilling to a degree, but they have a lot I, of young talent. So I think it's just, you know, don't don't waste your assets. Don't waste your assets. Consolidate if you can. And then, I mean, ultimately, it's like these guys, you know, it's like we talk about Andre's team. Like, it's a good young core, but even better. You know, you like Barber and Paxton, I think they're higher-end players. So. Well, and I don't mind the trade for Norton, but either give up the pick or McCann's. You giving up both for a guy that was expiring. I understand he re-signed him, but just McCann's had major value, and I think that because he was on the Nuggets, he wasn't looked at as much. Like I think he started off on the 76ers, which yeah, I would agree. I didn't notice him much too until that deal was made, and then when I saw him, um, who was he on the Knicks when I ended up making that trade for the Knicks? Yeah, is that once I saw that once you know I think probably Andre hit me up about it. I was like, oh, McCann's a pretty nice guy. Hey, just pay attention to the time, by the way. I know. We're, we're literally, yeah, I was going to say, we're, we're coming up on the first hour of, like, five teams that we've covered. We're going to have to try to work a little bit harder on the rest. But here, so I'm going to, we're going to stop it right now, and then that gives us one, two, three, four, five. Well, that gives us a five team, so we're looking at, like, five hours here, but hold on. So I'll drop this one, and then we can start speeding through the rest. Hold on a second. <laughs> 